0: Ever since the beginning of manned flight, pilots realized that just before touchdown, it would suddenly feel like the aircraft did not want to go lower. And it would just want to go on and on. This is due to the air that is trapped between the wing and the landing surface, as if there were an air cushion. This phenomenon is called ground effect. When an aircraft in flight comes within several feet of the surface, ground or water, a change occurs in the three dimensional flow pattern around the aircraft because the vertical component of the airflow around the wing is restricted by the surface. This alters the wing's upwash, downwash, and wingtip vortices. Ground effect then is due to the interference of the ground or water surface with the airflow patterns about the aircraft in flight. While the aerodynamic characteristics of the tail surfaces and the fuselage are altered by ground effect, the principal effects due to proximity of the ground are the changes in the aerodynamic characteristics of the wing. As the wing encounters ground effect and is maintained at a constant angle of attack, there is a consequent reduction in the upwash, downwash, and wingtip vortices. This is from the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge 5-11. And I added some um, there's some figures in here that I'm not this is an audio program so so
1: I'm wondering what are we going to talk about now cuz you just basically summed up the whole episode. This is this is cr- nothing. Else he
2: just he just say. kicked it off. It's just there's so much to go <laughs> this into, is just, Lee. Oh, there's okay. so much there's so much to go into. It's like a cushion <laughs> like a cushion of air that keeps the plane in the air. That's, yeah, that's that's like a way to describe it. So
0: Scott, do you enjoy
2: ground effect? Is it something you like or? I I do. I love ground effect.
1: Is Great. it a hindrance or like a benefit if it's you had a, to I mean cuz sometimes a, it can be a hindrance.
2: Well, I guess if you're trying to get in
1: land short
2: or whatever it could, you know, makes you float a little more, but that's not really a problem when you got 40 degrees of flaps and whatnot so you drop in I'm I'm in a 150 so it doesn't really matter to me but I suppose if like if I was in a bigger plane or something you know something you shouldn't be flying anyway because if it's got more than two seats you probably shouldn't bother to fly it anyway but But, uh, so
1: you would say that it's mostly like in all of your your experience, you would say you would characterize it as more of a benefit than right, a right? Because detriment you can you hindrance.
2: can you can jump that plane off the ground and build up your airspeed while you're in uh, ground effect and then
1: climb out. So like on a soft field takeoff, you're right. talking about, yeah, Is yeah, that yeah, what yeah. You're describing? yeah, yeah.
0: How would yeah. you utilize ground effect on a soft field takeoff?
1: Excellent question, Robert. Well, I would. Why thank uh, you,
2: Lee. Get the plane in the air as as early as possible, and then uh, stay in ground effect until I reached uh, what is that? My VX or VY, depending on what I was trying how to do. How do you get? How do you get the airplane up as soon as possible in the ground effect? Just, just yank up, yank back. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. But, like, a true, like, soft field technique, is there, you know, I think most of the time you want to try and get a lot of the weight is centered over the nose tires. You want to have, like, aft elevator pressure. Yeah. Is that how you do in the 150? Yeah, keep, keep the nose, the nose light.
2: light. Yeah. I don't get, get crazy that with it. Some guys get, like, crazy with it, and they, like, drag the tail. You know, I, I don't get that crazy. But some guys yeah. you see, like, they they, they got the, the little uh, tie-down loop from on the tail. They'll be, like, dragging that across the across the grass it's like yeah you know But would you I, try I, I like
1: go ahead boy, sorry
2: I was, I was just saying like i don't know that that being that extreme is is beneficial but
1: yeah that seems a little counterintuitive yeah, i suppose yeah. you're taking one thing out of the ground but you're putting another thing in the ground yeah
2: the so plane you, but probably, you would want
1: to
2: the plane will fly a lot earlier than most people think it will in my experience yeah like yeah, you just if yes. you just give it a good old yank back. It's gonna jump up in the air. It might come back down, but you know.
1: A ground effect if you have if enough you, margin. Yeah if, yeah, if you have enough, you should. can.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was flying with somebody once, and we we're doing a short field, and he just he grabbed the controls, and he's like, "It'll fly right now." And he's we're going like thirty knots, like you know, one fifty. is not gonna, you know, not gonna fly it. Thirty knots. So he, he reached, he reached, and just yanked back, and it jumped like twenty feet up in the air, settled back down in the ground effect, and then and then uh, took off.
1: So I mean, there's so there's a few things play, So would you say your technique would be more towards? Um, you want to try and get the nose gear out of, if it truly is a soft field. You want to try and get the nose gear out of the muck or the mud right. or whatever right. the resistance. Well, yeah, is.
2: you want to get as much weight off of all the wheels as early as possible.
1: Well, true, true, but the technique I think is from basically from standstill. So first off, you never want to stop because if you stop, no. you're going to sink. Yeah. yeah. So everything's yeah, some, rolling.
2: Yeah, don't do the brake stop. Like some some guys like that, but I don't know.
1: Well, if you well, yeah, if it's a true soft field though, you need to be doing a you know ride the brakes, keep the movement going, and do I think I've said before do like a rolling oh, yeah. mag check, right. carburetor heat, a rolling run up. Get to your unless there's a known dry spot near the end of the runway. That obviously changes everything.
2: Yeah, like your case.
1: Well, but but like in your at your place, you got a pretty dry spot. You guys, you're it depends on which end you're at. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, but like so, like let's say the northeast or the east end. Yeah, that's pretty dry, right? If you're on the east end, you're you're
2: fine. If you if you got to go down to the west end, I mean, I know where to turn around. The very end is is bad. So you just turn around like 50 feet
1: early and you'll be all right. You know? So you can, you're saying you could even, you like, you know that you can even shorten the runway distance that you're going to use for takeoff. And it actually is a net gain. Well, for your takeoff run. Like it's, it. You're actually it's only a ahead. net gain.
2: It's only a net gain. If you're going to get stuck in the, in the back 50, <laughs> you know, if you think that you could keep your speed up enough to not get stuck on the, the last 50, a hundred okay. feet of the runway, then, then, then go for it. But the only way I used to cut it off now, I just don't fly if it's crappy. Cause why, what's the point? Why bother? Right. Why bother? But you know, back when I used to fly when the runway was like half flooded or whatnot, like I would either, if I thought I could, if I thought I could do it without getting stuck, I'd just keep my speed up fast enough and use that extra 50 to a hundred feet. And I I would
1: think that would probably always be better. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. But as long as as you don't get stuck.
2: If it was so soft that, like, if I go back there, I'm going to get stuck. Then I would just, I would cut it off.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Okay, yeah. So your technique would be in the. I think you're describing basically technique. Mm Technique. So you're doing a rolling, you know, run up, basically. So we're talking worst case scenario, which is kind of what you're talking about. If you stop, you're going to get stuck. So that's that's what I would say is worst case scenario. Yeah. So you're you're doing a rolling run up, and you're never stopping. You're getting the power in. You're getting the the elevator like aft elevator pressure. Getting that nose gear nice and light. Getting the nose gear off the ground pretty much as soon as possible, and just rolling on the mains yep. until you kind of feel like she's so, ready to fly. Yeah, then give keep her a little more back pressure.
2: That's where your ground effect comes in. Once you get the yep, you the mains get her off and, the
1: ground as soon as you can. Minimum airspeed, minimum yeah. controllable airspeed. Yeah. Ride it in ground effect until you have good climb speed, yeah. and you brought up VX and VY, yeah. and so when, when do you think you would use one over the other? Well, if I'm trying to get over a tree... If I'll you use, could describe them.
2: If I'm trying to get over an obstacle, I'll use VX. If, like, there's no obstacle and I just want to climb out, I'll use VY. Right, right. I mean, VX is probably so safer. F- I know, it's like, you're supposed to use VX because... Yeah. Gain them. Yeah. Altitude is safety. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Who cares? But, well,
1: okay. So hold on right there. That so VX would would leave the most amount of runway in front of you. Yeah. At for a given altitude, if an engine were to fail or if anything yeah, but, were to go
2: wrong. Yeah, but at at our place here, like if you're off the ground and climbing and the engine fails, I mean you're probably not gonna. You might be able to make the runway, but. I don't know maybe
1: well I'm just I guess saying it gives depends you the on what's like, chances
2: yeah like if I got a passenger and full fuel and I'm in the air at hind like the amount of runway I've already used I'm probably not gonna get stopped but if I'm by myself yeah I guess I guess you know I could pretty easily you know if I'm climbing out engine quits I could make the end of the runway
1: but you, so Yeah, but like, I mean, I, I always kind of just go with the fact that if you land on what's remaining and you roll off the end at 50 miles an hour, that's much better than crashing in the trees at 60 miles an hour. Well, yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's kind of like VX would always give you the best yeah, possibility VX is, for that outcome.
2: It's safer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right. In the but, worst case scenario, it's right. safer. So, yeah. but you're hedging your bets yeah. whether that engine's going to fail, which yeah. you probably won't. No, man. I think you've described. I think you've described that your technique is basically exactly what manufacturers would recommend, what the FAA would recommend, according to the Pilot's Handbook of Aeronautical Knowledge, the Airplane Flying Handbook. Well, I, I, think I you've basically I helped. I helped them write it. So, oh, you must have worked in close coordination with somebody else that I know. Yeah.
2: Who's, wow,
0: name dropping here. Oh, cell phone ruin! All oh, right, geez. that's Scott looking down at his desk. So it means it was him. It wasn't me. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Um, but I don't have that ringtone.
1: So basically, if who even has their phone on like sound anyways anymore? I yeah, I, my watch I, just I,
2: vibrates on my wrist. I I leave it on sound. Uh, I have to cuz the shop is so noisy. If I don't have it on sound, like I just won't I, don't, I won't hear it. I won't feel it.
0: So to break down what we've been talking about, if someone's super new to flying, basically you ground effect is an increase in performance of the airplane. If you're close to the ground, if you've got that wing close to the ground still and you're all other variables the same, you are going to get Better performance when that wing is close to the ground. So basically, Scott, what Scott is talking about is in soft field takeoff is using that ad- advantage to take off from the soggy runway of 88 Delta uh, more quickly. Because you got to think best case scenario that soggy runway is going to just cause drag while you're taking off. Worst case scenario, you're going to get stuck. So basically, popping it up off of the runway before it would really want to fly, basically before it could fly up in the air, but you're not up in the air yet. If you just bring it up and keep it in ground effect, wheels right off of the surface, you can can get the airplane up as long as you're not trying to keep it going up to where you're out of ground effect you can take advantage of that performance to gain some more speed without the wheels on the surface, just above the surface. Get that airspeed up, flying really low, no drag, increased ground effect performance, get that airspeed up, and then pull back to take off to where the airplane actually wants to fly whether or not it's in ground effect. Is that an okay bringing it back down to explanation level, 101 status?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the general rule of thumb is like within half a wingspan. So, like, if you have an airplane that has a, you know, 35-foot wingspan, so you're looking at like within 17. So, like, the wing is like one unit. Like, we look, yeah, you can take one wing off an airplane, you still have one wing left. Well, yeah, that's true, but the airplane can't fly like that. So they work as a set. So two wings bolted to an airplane is one, you know, like airfoil. Or maybe I'm saying it wrong, but I think everybody gets my point. No, I get, that, you're, you're saying it right. Okay, so you need them both to work, you know, together to make the airplane fly correctly. And so the general rule of thumb is half the wingspan. So again, like I said, 35 foot wingspan, which is kind of common. That's your 172s and your Archers, your Cherokees are like 29 or 30 foot wingspan. You're within, you know, 15, 17, 20 feet of the ground. That's where this this region of ground effect occurs. And the lower the airspeed, the more prominent the ground effect is. And so it just, you get less and less of the components that are increasing your performance. They're, they're less prominent the faster you go. And that's the point. You want to lift off at minimum speed if you're doing a soft field like we've just talked about. You want to lift off at minimum speed, which means you're going to get the greatest benefit. And as you accelerate, you're getting an aerodynamic benefit because you're not getting that low pressure air from the bottom of the wing. It's not able to spill over on top and spoil the high pressure air. Or I'm sorry, the high pressure air from the bottom, spoiling the low pressure air on top. Edit all that out. I sound like an idiot. So you have high pressure on the bottom. It's not able, It high pressure always wants to go to low pressure. So when you have the ground in the way, it is stopping the high pressure air from coming over on top and spoiling the low pressure air on top. And that is giving you a performance advantage in ground effect. And so you can accelerate quicker and you can fly in ground effect. So within this 15 to 20 feet above the ground, you can fly at an artificially low airspeed, You can fly at a speed that is lower than you normally could out of ground effect, say at 50 or 100 feet. You wouldn't be able to maintain altitude at that slow speed. And ground effect you can, because you are getting the full aerodynamic benefit of that wing. There's no high pressure air spoiling the low pressure air on top of the wing. So these wing tip vortices that we all talk about with wake turbulence and whatever, they're not being created. They're not being fully created in ground effect.
0: Yes, so and that's what I, that's what I was going to bring up: the upwash, downwash, and wingtip vortices. You explained the wingtip vortices, which that was the part that I know about. Do you know anything about the upwash or downwash, or should I just edit this out so that we just ignore it, act like we don't
1: know? Well, I mean, I think I think that's 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 it as far as I know. I don't know exactly what they mean by upwash, downwash. So if you want to edit that out, you, you, you can because I don't know exactly what they're talking about. But I perceive that to be the um, high pressure. The basic, basically those are the one and two steps that I see that create the wingtip vortices. Gotcha. The high pressure, low pressure, upwash, downwash, whatever you want to call it.
0: Honestly, I, th-
2: I think we're all right.
1: Yeah, I think those two components pretty much yield you the wingtip vortices.
2: So if you're doing a short field on a paved surface, is it better to uh-huh. get the wheels off the ground into ground effect or yes. okay.
1: Soft field a soft field takeoff technique is always going to yield you the 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 um shortest takeoff roll. Okay, and it's going to be exponential. If you think like you do your technique, you know, on a on a paved runway, you're going to shave a ton of of takeoff distance off. Because so, it, you're, like, if you're trying to get over
2: an obstacle, it's still better to do do it that way.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're getting rid of the rolling resistance of the tires on the ground. You're getting rid of that early. You're going to accelerate. You have no, you know, you don't have that rolling resistance anymore. So, if we're talking pavement. You're getting all that rolling resistance out of the way much earlier. Accelerate, you know, the excel. Once you break ground, you know, you're going to accelerate the same whether it's ground, it doesn't care what's underneath you, what the tires are on, so that you'll accelerate there. But if you think about your total, if you have an X amount of distance to an obstacle that you need to clear, you're going to accelerate so much faster on pavement because you don't have the inherent. If you do soft field technique on a hard surface, that is, I mean, that's huge. You're going to have very, very least amount of takeoff roll possible.
0: I forget what check ride it was, but the examiner basically said at some point when I was like doing an either a normal takeoff or a normal landing, something along the lines of that was so, like soft or that was like more of a soft or short takeoff or landing. And I'm like, well, yeah, I learned off a of grass strip. <laughs> And then that's like, what are you, what are you going for? And they're like, well, I'm not really going for anything. I just find
1: it interesting, interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean like, so like, so I think we've described before our takeoff techniques are somewhat similar. Like I like to get no matter what it is, everything I've ever flown. I mean, other than the tailwheel, I like to get the nose wheel off the ground, put in that right rudder to counteract, you know, P factor and all that good stuff and roll on those mains until it's ready to roll off. I think that is going to give you the smoothest takeoff. I mean, there's gusts that might pop you into the air a little prematurely and stuff like that, but if it's a smooth day and a steady wind or whatever, I think getting that nose gear off and riding on those mains, letting the blend of your acceleration, your airspeed, and the angle of attack you've selected work. Once they get to that perfect balance that you have make enough pounds of lift to lift that airplane off the ground, I think that is the smoothest possible takeoff. You have a very gentle transfer of of the weight from the wheels to the wing. I think that is the smoothest way to do it. But like in the transport category airplanes, you hear you know the 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 pilot monitoring is calling V V one rotate and then you you pull it back. Even though the airplane could obviously fly well before that we have performance numbers that are calculated for us. So there's none of that rolling on the mains and do a nice smooth takeoff. You can, yeah, there's some technique that can help you do it smoother, but you know, it's, it's all, and that's what you do in piston airplanes. You know, if you read the manual, if you're not, if you're doing a soft field, you'll do more kind of what we all three do on a normal takeoff. We do kind of a soft field technique, a watered down soft field anyways, but the manual would tell you probably keep it on the ground till 50 knots, 50 miles an hour, whatever, and then rotate. And then it kind of like jumps off the ground a little bit or something. And I don't like that.
0: Yeah. It, it, I, I'd never liked the jumpiness. I always just, you feel it. I don't know. It's like a razor's edge. You kind of balance on those takeoffs and even in the landing too, to get it to just all come together. That's a whole nother multi-episode topic. Probably we could make that into. totally. Um, I'm going to continue here. Induced drag is a result of the airfoil's work of sustaining the aircraft, Mm. and the wing or rotor lifts the aircraft simply by altering a mass of air downward, or accelerating, had some truly's accelerating the mass of air downward. It is true, true, it is truly (laughs) that (laughs) reduced pressure on the top of an airfoil is essential to lift, But that is only one of the things contributing to the overall effect of pushing an air mass downward. The more more downwash there is, the harder the wing pushes the mass of air down. At high angles of attack, the amount of induced drag is high, since this corresponds to lower air speeds in actual flight. It can be said that induced drag predominates at low speed. However, the reduction of the wingtip vortices due to ground effect alters the span-wise lift distribution and reduces the induced angle of attack and induced drag. Therefore, the wing will require a lower angle of attack in a ground effect to produce the same lift coefficient.
1: Yes. If a constant
0: angle of attack is maintained, an increase in lift coefficient results i translate a lot of that is a lot of aoas and cls which i translate into angle of attacks and thank you lift for that coefficients just for ease of not having to explain what those fancy things is. so if you read the book and see something different that i'm reading that's what that's i'm just translating um before i'm sure you've got a couple of things you want to mention lee um in case this is not where you're going to start i, w- I would want to start here What's induced drag? What are they talking about? What, is, what does that
1: mean, induced drag? So induced drag is the drag. So we have two different types of drag. Parasite drag, which is just basically anything that meets the oncoming air as you go through it. Or whatever medium you're traveling through. So like if it's a boat, you know, you got the hole in the water. That's going to create drag. Or your Ferrari going down the street. That's meeting, drag, or meeting air, so that's drag. The drag you see on a Ferrari is the same drag we're gonna, you know, encounter with an airplane. So anything that meets the oncoming air is parasite drag. Induced drag, the simplest way uh, that I've always explained it, is the drag created from the formation of lift. Unlike parasite drag, which is very easy for people to understand, the faster you go, the more drag is created induced drag is the opposite of that it's actually the lower the airspeed the more induced drag is created and really the the reason for this is is it's because we are creating a bigger pressure differential between the bottom and the top of the wing um so the higher the pressure differential so at a slow airspeed if you can picture that you have a high angle of attack on the wing Which means, which correlates to a high pressure differential, which means a very strong and a very large wingtip vortice or vortex, I guess, when I'm doing singular. So, if you have a big wingtip vortex, that means you're going to have a much higher pressure differential. And so, that's more high pressure air spilling over on top of the wing spoiling that low pressure area. So that's where in there, and I can't quite paraphrase exactly what you read, but that's what they start talking about the span-wise lift distribution. There's more of that available to produce just kind of unspoiled lift. It's acting exactly upward, opposite gravity. If anytime you have that high pressure area error from underneath the wing coming over top and spoiling that, you're losing some, you know, feet of of the lift off the end of that wing. So um, that's, that's why, you know, winglets are a thing, if, you know, on all airline, most airliners now, and, you know, and even like a Cirrus or something has these blended wingtips. And that is to minimize, you know, these, these wingtip vortices, you're still creating them even when you're going fast, but they're minimal, but they do still help with, you know, fuel efficiency and things like that. But induced drag to some of your question, it's the drag created from the formation of lift and it's going to be more pronounced at low speeds and it's going to be very negligible at high speeds. Yeah, induced drag.
0: And you just um, anyone who's gone through basic flight training or a little bit into it, they've they can picture the graph where there's two lines on this chart, and the slower you're going, you know, from left to right, you increase the airspeed. Induced drag goes down the faster the airplane's going, becomes less of an issue, and the parasite drag, which is what you think of in like a sports car like a ferrari of just you're doing aerodynamics to reduce that that goes up the faster you're going so that basically and then there's a bunch of a lot of the v speeds are are based on all the function yeah. these graphs where those intersect and all that but that's another yeah. conversation for another day Um uh, did you have anything beyond what just answering my question in that one paragraph or
1: um, I almost need you to, re- I mean, that was quite a paragraph. There's a lot packed in there. I mean, I think, I mean, unless there's like things that you could, you know, maybe pull out of there. Hey, wh- what do you, what does this mean? But
0: yeah, I think you covered it. It's mainly covering that downwash section. You can do a little five minute addendum the next, Okay. If you, if you listen to this and it was something you didn't cover. Um, Mr. Boris, you've got any brilliant insights?
2: Yeah, I wish I did. All right.
0: We'll I mean,
2: I'd ask about. question. I'd ask questions, but I, I, I already know everything. Yeah, I understand. I oh. understand. It's hard to, hard to put myself in somebody's shoes that doesn't know everything. Yeah,
0: oh, that makes sense. Ground effect also alters the thrust required versus velocity, since mm. induced drag predominates at low speeds the reduction of induced drag due to ground effect will cause a significant reduction of thrust required parasite plus induced drag at low speeds due to the change in upwash downwash and wingtip vortices there may be a change in position installation air of the airspeed system associated with ground effect in the majority of cases, ground effect causes an increase in the local pressure at the static source and produces a lower indication of airspeed and altitude. Thus, an aircraft may be airborne at an indicated airspeed less than that normally required. Does that sound right from the FAA? Yeah. That's basically yeah. You can... Operate the airplane at a lower speed than it normally would be able to operate if you're really close to the ground.
1: Yeah, if you're, then that's what I tried to say earlier. When you're out of ground effect, you know, that's kind of more of the normal rules of aerodynamics. We are getting rid of a huge detracting factor in aerodynamic performance in ground effect we're getting rid of all that high pressure air that would circulate around the wingtip creating these wingtip vortices normally they're stopped by the ground they meet the ground and they can't make a full circle you know they want to make this vortex type 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 signature and they can't make the full circle because they meet the ground before they can make the turn And that, that means you realize the full benefit of the wing, every square foot of that wing for for the most, I mean, generally speaking is making lift instead of some of it being spoiled out near the wingtip. So we get a a huge performance increase in ground effect, which is again, half the wingspan. So if you have a 40 foot wingspan within 20 feet of the ground, you're going to feel those effects. Um, And, and, you know, sometimes that, you know, you factor that in the more time you spend in that airplane, like Scott was bringing up. You, you know, you can plan on it. Like, you know, oh, if I want to touch down by this spot, I know I'm going to float because of this cushion of air ground effect. And now we're tr- we're basically defining why it feels like a cushion of air. Because you're coming in, you have a certain feel, you know, you're coming in on a short final, you're at 50 feet, 100 feet, whatever, and you have this certain feel. And then you get really close to the ground and you like want to arrest this, maybe the sink rate or whatever, it feels one way. Then you get within 20, you know, 15 feet of the ground and kind of some of the aerodynamic rules change because now you have lift that you didn't have a couple seconds ago. And that can yield float and with time in that airplane and, you know, knowing the speed and knowing your weight, things like that, you can kind of, you know, guesstimate how much float you're going to get out of it. You know, and there's FAA, they have some guidance like not guidance maybe, but rules of thumb, you know, every knot you take into gr- into ground effect is another, you know, however many feet, 150 feet or something like that. I don't know what it is, but you can definitely chew up if you're kind of on the edge of performance, uh, you know what where you're taking you're trying to take an airplane somewhere that is really at the limit of what it's capable of doing. Um that can really make a difference, you know, you can add, you know, easily Two hundred feet or so to your to your landing roll because of float, and there's technique and stuff for that too. But um, sometimes sometimes it's a benefit. Sometimes even on landing, you can plan to have that float. But no I one, no I use it in to my
0: landings all the time. Like that's
1: how I. How would you use it? Tell, yeah. Tell me how. It's just like as it's an example. Constantly,
0: it's constantly on my mind as far as how I'm going to make that landing as smooth as possible. You just you once you get in that cushion you just I, I can hear my flight instructor it's got a nice flight instructor toss how to fly hold it off hold it off hold it off once you're down in that cushion of air the whole goal is just to hold those wheels off just above the surface and be as smooth as possible and keep holding it off until this airspeed bleeds off so that ground effect can't even keep the plane in the air anymore and you just touch down lightly was it. To this day, Easiest. every time I'm in a flare, it's just hold it. I can hear Don's voice, hold it off, hold it off, hold it off. Do you remember him saying that, Scott?
2: Yeah, yeah. The slower you're going when you touch down, the, uh, the easier it is on the airframe, too. Aircraft. Yes, uh, as well. Landing gear. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah.
0: The smooth landing that the passengers say, oh, that was great, is usually better on the airframe than the passengers going, holy Shit, what was that?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: It's usually it's usually bad on the airframe as a general rule of
2: thumb. Yeah. Over time those those holy shit, what was that? Landings will cost maintenance dollars. Yes. Essentially.
1: Well, you know, depends on what type of operation you're doing. Sometimes it's not controllable.
2: Well,
0: yeah. See people think Scott and I are just trying to be like these cocky, smooth landing people, but just back in the day, we were just trying to keep our maintenance costs down,
2: right? Yeah, yep.
0: That was the real reason we wanted to learn how to land properly.
2: Yep, I haven't had a bad landing in a long time, but that's because I fly on a soft field when there's no wind. So all totally. of my landings, all of my landings are like beautiful. Anybody who's with me is like, "Wow, that was really smooth." Like, yeah it's on grass and there's no wind. Because he waited three weeks for that perfect <laughs> air condition before he took off.
1: Yeah, I had so I was landing in Minneapolis the other day, and um, the the, uh, the runway was basically—I mean, it wasn't standing water, but it was just got done pouring down rain.
2: Yeah,
1: and. Like I did a really good touchdown. Completely not even me. It was the fact there was like I was like landed on a like hydroplaning. So hydro you know, it hydroplaned. just so a few smooth. seconds before. Yeah, hydroplaning, yeah. just totally soft and everything. He's he's like, oh, that was a really good landing. You know, I gotta I gotta tell you, and I'm like, yeah, it was it was because there was water on the runway. Yeah, You're landing yeah. on a <laughs> pillow. <laughs> you know,
2: your wheels never uh, never squeaked on the. No, was,
1: th- there was no yeah. smoke. They just rolled on, you know, yeah, and then hydroplaned yeah. for, you know, a split second and then yeah. gently spun up the rubber spinning. as the weight, yeah, as we slowed down. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. Anytime the runway is wet, you can do some awesome landings because you're not doing an abrupt half. What a lot of people don't realize, when you're touching down a 50, 40, 80,000-pound airplane, a lot of the abruptness you feel in the, the the jarring landing is the rubber being spun up on the tire. You don't want think about that. That's a huge component of it. Yeah. So if you can gently spool up that tire, which is still, it's all the same technique, you know, to do a noise landing no matter what it is, but if you can spool it up uh, softly and smoothly and slowly, that's going to... Cut the uh, the harshness in half of that landing.
0: Didn't we have some goofy back, goofy idea back in when we were doing line service that we should put like little scoops or something that'll grab air and make the top once the landing gear is out, like on the King Air, and start spinning the wheel slightly a little bit and make this make the uh, touchdown smoother when we land it. Would,
2: the scoops would probably get damaged on landing, though. I it. This is obviously not an intelligent
0: idea, but it it's something that was thought of because of this back I don't know if it was both of you, all three of us, or it was just Lee and I or just Scott. Have, I. I can't remember. They
2: should have cowls around the wheel. And then I don't know, I guess that wouldn't work. I'm trying to think, they should have like high pressure air blowing on the wheel so that it spins it. Why don't they I just have a little it?
0: electric motors just
2: yeah, probably way too. Juice. Probably way too much. I guess. Well, I guess they make little electric motors that are pretty lightweight these days. You could probably.
1: I mean, I bet a Dewalt. That, you know. Right, was, yeah. 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 Would spin get them,
2: them. Get them spinning. So they're already uh, moving when you land. Right. We the only problem
1: those. is the only problem is is if you think about that, think of the wear and tear that would save because now you're leaving rubber. Like right. that, you would that would you would be leaving on the pavement, yeah, in smoke, right? That would that would be much reduced because it's already spinning. Yeah, the 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 difference in speed, it'd be yeah. You save a lot on tires. Here's the only thing though: when you get into <laughs> bigger stuff with ground oh, level dumping a- and spoilers that pop, you'd you need have a- wheel speed transducers and stuff. That, now, of course, there should be an algorithm. They could probably program that. But when you have a certain wheel speed, there's different thresholds for what happens when the wheel gets through different speeds. And like, let's say you have um, six tires or whatever, well, or eight tires that you're trying to get up different speeds. You need you need three out of four or six out of eight to do different things. Yeah, I think that would get too complicated.
2: They'd have to change the way it was programmed. I think yeah, we, we can just,
1: do it. Well, probably. I'm sure it's Why can't you just put notches but, like? But on like notches a, and grooves in the tire, so it's on, a, on, on a, a sidewall, yeah.
2: On a on a large airliner though, you would need a good size motor to get those wheels spinning fast enough.
1: A DeWalt for not sure. Do it? No, a DeWalt would not do it. Right. Well, just keep, just keep, just don't have. Put them on that tight. Put them on nice and loose.
0: You don't have the airliner. Traveler doesn't care about this kind of nuance. I'm talking for like private jets. No, no, no. Private I'm talking where about people can I'm appreciate about, a
2: landing like that. I'm talking about saving money. How how much does the airlines pay on on tires? Oh, can you if imagine you could, if you could cut their tire turnover in half by getting the wheels spinning before they touch down? How many millions of dollars would that save them a year? That Seriously? is true. That is that, true.
1: Oh, I mean. Yeah. I mean it would it would be it would be insane. A better customer experience. Well, so if you look at like a um, like an A three thirty or something like that and you start looking at where they have all those tandem tires and they're um oh what are they like not trailing link, but they're like on trucks almost. You know, they're right. kinda angled like yeah. this. Then the yeah. last one's touch and then the, they slowly pivot down so the other ones touch. Yeah. You know, I don't know, I guess that's a better maybe a better method for what we're trying to achieve
0: look we're we're yeah, just throwing this out in the ether okay okay none of the three of us aren't gonna have the time to even do this, but there's somebody out there that's their gears are turning now. If you patent an idea, congratulations, we support you we support um you. eventually when we monetize the show and we you know we got a, like a far aim only fans that we're running trying to only trying fans. to help us out <laughs> 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 uh just yeah throw us you know throw us a few bucks, become a member that way you know. We gave, you, we gave you the multi-million dollar idea, so... Just
1: keep, well, I mean, technically, our idea is recorded. That is true, but... I don't know. I don't know. Somebody else do it.
0: I don't know how that works. All right. In order for ground effect to be of significant magnitude, the wing must be quite close to the ground. Yes. What, one of the direct results of ground effect is the variation of induced drag with wing height above the ground at constant uh, lift lift coefficient. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, CL. I keep trying to translate it for everyone, and I keep forgetting what CL is. When the wing is at a height equal to its span, the reduction in induced drag is only 1.4%. So that's whatever your wing length, whatever that is above the ground, you're at 1.4% percent uh increase in performance roughly
1: is how that's all that's translated okay so okay hold on let's back up so 1.4 percent for every how many
0: it, no when the wing is it's however wide the wing is when it's okay. that distance off of the ground you' get you're getting 1.4 percent the reduction in induced
1: drag that's all we're getting is a 1.4 percent so like let's say' we're, the wing is 17 feet off the ground so that's half a wing Half a wingspan. We're only getting one point four percent. How how long are your wings? Thirty four
0: feet. No, when you're thirty four feet off the ground, it's one point four percent reduction in the in induced drag. Well, the full length. I thought it was half the length. Well, they're gonna they're gonna break it down once you get closer here.
2: Oh, okay. However, oh, well,
1: I guess that's okay. I was skipping ahead. All right. So, it
2: however, at, when the it starts at a full length.
1: It
0: starts at one full length. You get 1.4 percent reduction in induced drag. That's in- okay.
1: So almost nothing. Okay. Almost good. nothing. But you're yeah. getting
0: a little bit of an increase once you get a wingspan. 1.4 percent.
1: That's basically zero.
0: You're not noticing it. Yep. Um, however, when the wing is at a height equal to one fourth its span.
1: Ooh, 25 percent. Re- I think. Yep. is What that means. Good job. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Lee is good at math. Uh, the reduction in induced drag at at twenty five percent of the wingspan off the ground is twenty three point five percent.
1: Whoa, everybody, mind blown! Yeah. Okay, so so, real close. so, so if we have thirty four percent, divide that by two is seventeen. Divide that by two, it's basically eight eight and a half, right? Eight and a half feet. So when you're at Eight and a half feet from the ground, you have a twenty-three percent reduction from of, of In induced drag. drag. Yeah. Yep. Wow.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So Pretty yeah, good. I mean, so that's significant. So think of your oh, wing yeah, being twenty-three percent bigger. Right. So, like, if you th- um, and I actually know used to know what some of these numbers were, um, how many square feet you have.
0: Is that how the math works? A twenty-three point five percent reduction in reduced drag is gonna give you twenty-three percent increase in performance. I don't well, know if it, I don't well, know if it exactly translates like that.
1: No, no, of course it doesn't exactly translate. Aspect ratio, all that kind of stuff, but think how long a glider's wings are, I guess. You yeah. Know, that's what I'm getting at, I guess. You know.
0: All right. And when the wing is at a height equal to
1: one tenth its span, that's ten percent. 3.4 feet in our example here of 34-foot wingspan. 3.4 So you feet. got those
0: wheels just above the surface, basically.
1: Well, no. The wheels would pretty much still be touching. Uh, you, have, you have flying speed. Yeah. If you're in a Cessna. Well, no. It's, high wing. I can walk underneath a 150 wing. Right? I mean, the 150 uh, yeah, wing is probably 6 feet. six that's, five eight.
0: Yeah, it's true. I so, think I can
1: walk. I'm pretty sure I can walk underneath a 150 wing. Yeah. You... Might be able to. Yeah. Piper, though. Piper, you're probably right there. You probably yeah. wheels right above it. Yeah, if not on still, but okay. So
0: you're almost on. You're holding it off, holding it off, holding it off, greasing out a beautiful landing. The reduction in induced drag is 47.6% in that situation.
1: You got to be kidding me. 47%. That 47. is like three- Wow. 2.4% less than half. Wow. At three uh, at uh how many? One tenth? One uh, tenth. One tenth,
0: a... yeah. Wow. This is one of the very, 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 very few instances where Piper is gonna outperform Cessna for the most part. Other than like the yeah. super cubs and stuff that are high wing. Where low wing aircraft are gonna outperform high wing aircraft, I should say.
1: Well they always do, so let's just get that no, fact straight. I, just I don't think so. That out there real quick. No, no. Well we can we can, I mean we can debate it, but I mean anyways. I would say you're still realizing the benefit at while well, the wheels are on the ground. You know what I mean? You don't, you still have the wheels on the ground, so you have rolling resistance. You know what I'm saying? But even when you take off and you are inches above the ground, I mean, what's inches? I mean, so we're talking, we went from a a uh, eight eight foot height down to a three foot height. And we went from 25 Percent right,
2: yeah,
1: or twenty three something, twenty three percent to forty seven percent.
0: Yeah, one point four at uh, the length of the wing. Yep, uh, one fourth of the wing is twenty three point five percent. Yep, and then one tenth of the wingspan is forty
1: seven point six. So it seems pretty linear. Does that seem? I think that seems pretty linear to me.
0: Yeah. I, yeah.
1: I mean, I I, I guess once you get within half a wingspan um, that I had been kind of describing, you're going from at eight feet, you're at 23%. At three feet, you're at 50%. That's relatively linear, I guess, for the purpose of our discussion within that. So yeah, you pop up in a ground effect. You're three feet about off the ground. You, the wheels are off the ground. Negligible difference probably between a 172 and you know if everything were equal, which they're not. A 172 is a much better soft field airplane than a Cherokee. Um, I will probably throw that out there. Why? That. Um. Well, I would say mostly flaps. Yeah. You have much better flaps for um lift. They're, you know, semi-fowler type flaps. You have a lot more surface area. You do it like a low, like 10 degrees of flaps. You're getting a significant difference in um, surface area to create lift with. And the further, you know, of course, and that's lift inboard towards the wing root, which again is even further away from this high pressure air potentially spoiling the low pressure air on top. So you getting that that surface area um, in close to the wing root is really pretty much you're getting all of that. That is gain. There's nothing getting spoiled, um, by it being out by the uh, wing route. So yeah, I would say 172. All this, I would say all the Cessnas. You know, 172, 182, 206. Those are better soft field air, or short field airplanes than their Piper counterparts.
0: Piper's yeah, I, can hold their other than their own like problems. a Piper Super Cub though.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. The, that's why I said they're Piper counterparts. You know, Archer, Saratoga, Cherokee Six, yeah. respectively. Um. I think that I, obviously I think the Cherokees, you know, the Piper archers, warriors, Saratogas can hold their own, but worst case scenario, you have, you know, 1500 feet to work with routinely a 206 is gonna be better, but the math here looking at 25% of the wing and down to, you know, 10, 10% of the wing, the math shows there might be a little bit of a, um ground effect if you can really maximize the ground effect concept in your piper you might be able to uh offset some of those gains that, that the cessnas have in inherent design you know logic with their bigger flaps and things like that higher lift wing
0: It's possibly more on paper though than in the actual flying the airplane. you
1: give me enough hours and something i bet i could probably give somebody a run for their money and something
0: yeah. Well, I mean, that's well, I mean, for
1: anybody, though, almost. Yeah. Well, I might be a little extra unless you're, special. I unless, don't know. You're a, unless you're a pilot schmuck. So there's a lot of those out there. Well, there's, again, I'm, I mean, I'm one of them for sure, but like, like <laughs> in some you go, ways, you go t- take a guy with, you know, his latest, greatest, you know, Cessna 206 with, you know, maybe he's got 500 hours in or something. I got 1,900 hours in a Saratoga. I'm probably going to be able to pretty much hold my own against them yeah you know i've paid for that in you know in terms of fuel and stuff like that to get that proficiency level and you guys bring this up kind of fairly well scott for sure proficiency level there's almost nothing that beats you know that you can build and bake in whatever type of performance factors and characteristics into an airplane i mean other than just all out speed but in terms of performance it's really hard to justify any modification or any design you can put into an airplane that would supersede time in the airplane like yeah. like Scott has in his 150 that airplane specifically that type of airplane it'd be hard for somebody to just jump you know to have like even me i bet if we were to go to a short field takeoff and landing thing he would beat me uh you know, know what i mean that. probably okay Okay, maybe not. Let's not even go beat me. We could go. We could go do a damn competition, and yeah, we probably you could hold your somebody. own against yeah. me. Like yeah. if I were the bar, which I'm not, but I'm just saying. Probably so. Like all these things, you know, watering, breaking out, ground effect, and technique, and all these things, time and seat.
0: Oh yeah, it's harder place. A lot of you can do a lot of things in an airplane. You still got to have time and exact make and model to really just. Get everything out of it.
1: Right. But it's so much easier for some rich guys. Like, ah, I'll just go buy this next airplane. They, that'll get me 20 knots, you know, or whatever. Because okay. mostly it's about speed.
0: Yeah. Doesn't matter how much money you have, tailwheel still punish you.
1: Yeah. I think so.
0: All right. Thus, a large uh, reduction in induced drag takes place only at the wing... Only when the wing is very close to the ground, because of the this variation, ground effect is most usually recognized during lift-off or takeoff, or just prior to touchdown. When landing, mm-hmm. uh, during takeoff, during the takeoff phase of flight, ground effect produces some important relationships. An aircraft leaving ground effect after takeoff encounters just the res, just the reverse of an aircraft entering ground effect during landing. The aircraft leaving ground effect will this is leaving this is takeoff. Require an increase in angle of attack to maintain the same coefficient of lift. Experience an increase in induced drag and thrust required. Experience Mm -hmm. a decrease in stability and a nose-up change in moment. uh, Experience a reduction in static source pressure and increase in indicated airspeed. Yeah. So this is, yeah, all the benefits you're gaining when you come down into ground effect, that reverse all that during takeoff, which you just... You're in ground effect for a second where it's sweet, and then all of a sudden it can go bye-bye.
1: So you can lift off, like, let's say you don't have a a good technique or you're used to, like, uh, the only way I can really parallel it, I think, to make it make sense is, like, let's say you have an airplane that you're used to flying with, uh, like, let's say a 150, and you have a 300-pound instructor, like something that's a, a huge percentage of the the. Uh, gross, or uh, I'm sorry, the useful load of the airplane.
0: Can a 300-pound instructor fit in a 150?
1: I don't know, but I'm trying to make an example that might okay. make sense where you're used to, uh, no, I'd have to be backwards. Like, like You're going to take a 350-pound friend. You already have your license. You have the airplane. You're going to take a 300. You're used to flying by yourself in your 150. You try to get it airborne. You get your 300-pound friend in. You uh, try to get an airport at the same speed that you would by yourself, and that so. doesn't well yeah, that'd be one thing. Um maybe I mean, like ten even, years from now.
2: There ain't even room.
1: Well, for sure, but I'm trying I I don't know what else to say because I want I'm trying to I'm saying something realistic that would be noticeable. You could put three hundred pound like two hundred and fifty pounders in the back of an archer. I don't know that you would necessarily notice that. Three hundred really? pounder next to you in a I don't know I don't know yeah. I literally like I I don't you know flown
2: that enough that? archers you should know that you I some, probably
1: would but I don't put know some
2: heavyweights in there
1: for sure but I don't know for a fact that I would notice that's you what would, I'm saying I don't know that I'm saying that I don't know that I wouldn't notice or something does that make sense you're talking the archer versus the one fifty or. Yes. I'm saying, okay, or 150. Let's say I put another 150-pounder next to me. I don't know. I probably would, but I can't be sure. So I'm saying that I don't know that I would notice that 150-pounder next to me in performance if I just look at the numbers. Is that... Oh, I... uh, You think so? I don't know.
0: I had 100-pound ladies I'd have... Brought up, and they I would notice them on board versus if I was yeah. by myself in the one fifty. Yeah. Oh May, yeah, in the one fifty.
1: Okay, you guys are the experts. I mean, I yeah, I don't know, I don't know. So okay, so we're saying that we can recognize a hundred pounds, but so like let's say we're going to take our three hundred pound friend for us. We're used to flying with a hundred pound friend or solo by ourselves, and we want to fly, we want to rotate or take off at kind of this speed, you know, fifty five or sixty knots or miles an hour or whatever. Well. You, that will yield you a certain result and that you'll have to pull a certain amount on the aft elevator to select an angle of attack that will work. And we're blending all these concepts together. We're trading off weight from the wheels to the wings. That's what we're doing when we put in that aft elevator pressure. And so when we're used to, like, let's say we have a bad technique and it's not smooth. You just want to kind of yank it into the air for lack of a better phrase If you do that at the same speed that works while you're solo, but you've added 300 pounds, which is 50% probably of the useful load in a 150, that's probably only got like a 600 pound useful load or less. So you have somebody else in there. You're close to the gross weight. When you add this kind of weight and it's kind of like instant like this is a big change right now, and you try and do it the way you've always done it, and you have poor technique, you rotate briskly to get it, kind of yank it into the air, well, you might be able to get it into the air, but it's going to settle back down to the ground. And so what Rob just read is telling you that basically on takeoff, you may have to keep in kind of an extra amount of back pressure to, to select an angle of attack that will give you enough pounds of lift to keep the pounds of weight that you've added you know, obviously with your airplane, in the air. So you have to have all these things working together and you're going to have to accelerate in ground effect until you can, you know, achieve a normal speed. You know, in this case, maybe 75 or 80, you know, 70, 75 miles an hour or knots. And then, then you know that you can safely climb out of ground effect at 75 miles an hour. So if you do what you've always done, but at a much higher weight, everything's going to be different. So you're going to have to take advantage of ground effect in this case. And a lot of people have been rolling down the runway and a gust of wind comes and artificially. They have a little bit of angle of attack in and it artificially lifts them up. But then that gust goes away and then they settle back down to the ground. It's happened to everybody, especially on rough unimproved surfaces. But if you can milk it and you have a lot of time in that airplane, you can really feel it out. A lot of times you can maybe prevent it from settling back down. Not that settling back down is bad, but you can just eke out that last little bit of lift by, you know, aft elevator pressure, selecting an angle of attack that'll work and then yeah. accelerate and ground effect.
0: And There's two paragraphs I'm going to skip over for time's sake. We are past Scott's bedtime here. Yeah, it's, um,
2: it's getting very late.
0: So, uh, blah, 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 blah. It
2: is eight forty nine PM.
0: Yes, on a Thursday, we used to freaking right. close down. Cheers to it two AM Thursdays. Yeah. Um, well. <laughs> anyway, we had um, problems. But, yeah, those two uh, those two paragraphs, they're basically describing. You can, if you're not paying attention, you really load up. You can get into a situation where your airplane's not going to. F- fly not going to gain altitude you put like a weight on it and it's a hot day high humidity high um altitude all that all those factors um we're basically ground effects going to make you think that oh yeah i'm flying and then you actually try to take off out of ground effect and you realize no 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 you can only fly in ground effect So that's kind of the summary we've touched on that uh, several times through this i do want to read the last one because scott might have some input on this before he goes Uh, If during the landing phase of flight, the aircraft is brought into ground effect with a constant angle of attack, the aircraft experiences an increase in coefficient lift and a reduction in the thrust required and a floating effect may occur because of the reduced drag and lack of power off deceleration in ground effect. Any access speed at the point of flare may occur, may incur a considerable float distance. As the aircraft nears the point of touchdown, ground effect is most most realized at altitudes less than the wingspan. During the final phases of the approach, as the aircraft nears the ground, a reduction of power is necessary to offset the increase in lift caused from ground effect. Otherwise, the aircraft will have a tendency to climb above the desired glide path. This is in 150, you typically have the power all the way out already so you're not having to reduce power but if you don't gauge it right or if you're flying in a plane where you keep a little power into the to the bottom you got to pull that out at the end and this is something to make a smooth landing especially if you want to do a smooth landing in a short distance this is something you've got to factor in this cushion of air that once you're close to the ground which happens during a landing you get close to the ground that's going to give you that last-minute boost of performance. It's going to keep you in the air a little longer, and a lot of the short-field stuff we do, and a lot of the just the smooth landing techniques that we do, that we strive for, you've just got to you've got to take this into consideration.
2: Well, yeah. Yeah. Got to got to know what's going to happen. I don't know. I mean, you should get comfortable with your with your airplane. It's kind of just comes natural, but you always think about it.
1: What would you say, you know, your, would you say that you tend to adhere to what Cessna recommends for final approach speed with your landing techniques, Scott? Would you say that you recommend that you pretty much adhere to very closely to what they recommend or do you pad it with a little extra or what would you say? And does that depend Uh, on whether you're power on or power off?
2: I usually come in a a little bit faster than what they recommend just because extra airspeed makes me feel safer and i know i'm gonna make the runway
1: but let's say i was power on or power off power off okay
2: Uh i prefer power off i mean sometimes obviously i get a little too low and then i come in power on but most of the time i'm able to do final without power um but yeah, I usually, I probably keep it a little bit higher than what Tesla recommends just because I'm not worried about overshooting the runway and Ooh. I'd rather have a, a little bit more speed than a little too less speed. Yeah. You know, speed is, yeah. you know, it, if you're not worried about overshooting the runway, speed is safety as I see it. What do you do coming into middle best? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would keep it like, well, middle bass, I don't, it's not that challenging, I guess, but it's still 1800 feet of paved runway. So in a 150, I would, I mean, I might come in a little slower. I'd, I guess I'd come in whatever Cessna recommends probably, but if I was coming into like something really short, like, or if I was like practicing, trying to get it stopped As soon as possible, I would come in power on full flaps as slow as you know I could go, right? Yeah, letting the the right power be the power keeping you in the air. And then, as soon as you're as soon as you got the runway made, you chop the power and drop it in. I mean, not drop it in, but you know, flare it in, flare it in. Yeah, it'll settle. If you're using yeah, power the- if you're using the power to stay in the air and then you chop that power it's going to settle in pretty quickly. Right. Even right. even through ground effect. Well, I mean at least in the 150 with 40 degrees of flaps and no power it's going to settle pretty quickly.
1: Well, I mean I typically expect like in the 150 when you're when you when you're at the point where you recognize okay, I've okay, I'm I'm power to idle, I'm descending and so now I feel like I maybe I'm a little short. Typically the gut reaction is to, you know, increase angle of attack a little bit, raise the nose a little bit and to kind of change your, you know, your kind of your glide path right. if you will. And then that kind of typically digs your hole a little bit deeper. It gets you back maybe to a slower speed which yeah. ultimately, you know, kind of helps your landing roll, but if you if you were dead sticking it in with no engine running, you'd be in trouble with that technique. But, you know, for short field yeah. landing, that is that's what you want to do. Raise that nose, lower the airspeed, power to get you there, power to maintain your glide path to your desired touchdown. And then, so what you're saying is that that cushion You've eroded away by lifting that nose and lowering that airspeed. So like I picture like an instance where like we try to do like 60 to 65 on final. And so, you know, 150. So we're at 60, 65, and we're idle, and we're like, okay, we're starting to realize that we're gonna be short. We're like maybe a quarter mile final or something. And we're like, we're gonna be short. So the gut reaction is always pull back on the yoke, right? Well, that lowers your airspeed, speed. Yeah, that's which, gonna make it even worse. It's going to make it worse. Yeah, Yeah. you know, your descent angle actually increased and you're actually going to be even shorter. uh, Everything being constant, you're going to be shorter. You're going to land shorter than you would have. So the only reaction you have left, if you haven't identified it early enough, uh, is to add the power to maintain your glide path to the runway. But now maybe you've left, you know, maybe 5 to 10 miles an hour. Now you're down to maybe 55 or 50 miles an hour. And when you chop that power, it's just going to kind of plop down, and you can be really precise on your touchdown point yeah. with that manner of, yeah. of, like, approach. Yeah, you, you, know, you path, have a lot more control, control
2: over where you touch down if you're coming in with power, I guess.
1: Right. So if you're doing a, like, hardcore like, short-field short field yeah. approach, yeah. that power, I, like, I don't like to rely on it in case there's an issue. No, but, but if, like I'm, if you're trying yeah. to do like, I shouldn't be going I guess here if anyways, I was, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I guess when I go into, if I would go into Kelly's or, or north or middle where it's short, I would probably leave power on depending on the wind, I guess. Yeah. If it's windy, I, I'd leave the power on. If it's not, I wouldn't worry about it.
1: Right. Yeah. I would agree with you because, yeah, that, 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 that the airspeed helps you cut through some of that and you don't have to be like power in and out and in and out and in and out. Airspeed is your friend for the most part.
0: All right. That's all I got for this one, boys. Yeah. Yeah, it's by yeah.
2: bedtime, so oh god. I have to wrap um, this up.
0: 5-star written review time. This is um 5 stars. Aviation Podcast Gold exclamation point. You guys are amazing. Being a new CFI, I'm always looking for ways to enhance my knowledge, and listen to you guys is or listening to you guys is always informative and entertaining. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Best, Michael CFI CFWI M E I Triple Crown CFI. I don't know if that's wow. a term before. I I just kind of made that up on the show, and I'm, I've been keeping going with it. Um, yes, uh, CFI. I've, we've kind of we're trying to gauge the audience like who's listening and stuff I think it I think it is a lot of people at like the private like non-professional level listening yeah that so seems it's nice to, be to that. know yeah it's nice to know we've got a CFI listening as well
1: yeah it definitely helps to know where people are and like the emails we get that's one of the main things I keep trying to say is like let us know where you're at because sometimes you get kind of vague emails like I you're telling me kind of what you're doing, but I want to know just a little bit more, like, what rating are you working on? Just so I can generally see where you are. Because we need, like, we're kind of meandering here. Like, what are we covering? What do people want to know? So all this little feedback, where people are, what their knowledge base is, helps us guide, you know, it what it, topics we're covering.
0: It is a challenge to balance the um, someone completely new to flying, explain it so stuff that they can understand, and then also... Be describing you know stuff higher level people will like oh my god when we go live scott's cat <laughs> is literally staring at his webcam right now it's you're just, about to see its
1: taint here in a second oh sometimes.
0: my god look, uh, look it has no, it has no
2: tail look it has no tail oh oh,
1: we know we we know yes, the cat we yes. know the cat Scott.
0: um uh, so yeah michael guy. here he's a cfi i, I um I
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: I've had some email correspondence with the uh, the gentleman, the Harry Beaver review, the Harry DC.
1: <laughs> DHC uh, too. Yep,
0: yeah. and uh, so he he flies he flies the beavers. He said so. Shout out if you're if you're listening. And uh, so yeah, just a something we we deal with. But uh, yeah, appreciate the five star written review. Uh, keep them coming. Um, uh, you can only do one. So, uh, Michael. If, If you want to keep chatting, uh, email is our preferred method of communication. My email is faraim at robertberger.com. B-E-R-G-E-R, the German way, not the sandwich way. Mr. Griffin is faraim at leegriffing.com, G-R-I-F-F-I-N-G. And Mr. Boris is faraim at scottborris.com, B-O-R-E-S. And that is all we have for this one. Shoot us an email, and we will uh, we'll see you next week.
1: Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks. La 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 la
2: la. All right, I'm going to bed. La. Okay, see you, Scott. Later. Later. I think help. I know what. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just I was just going to say help me
0: keep it track of if it kicks us off the recording so we don't keep talking without oh. actually getting anything.
2: I think That's I know the what bus. the vibrating noise was last time. My heat pump for the house is mounted on the wall, like right behind where I'm sitting. Like it's like right there behind my Really? hmm So if my heat pump kicks on, it'll probably be a little vibration, but I put some extra wood in the fire, so it probably won't, but if it does, it might be some vibration.
1: I really appreciate you stepping it up, Scott. I really, I, you know, I
2: appreciate you figuring this out, but that is that is a severe problem. Well, not really. Why? Because I can just put more wood in the fire, and in the summertime, it won't be a problem at all.
1: Yeah, The heat pumps your air conditioning...
2: Well, yeah, but it's not very loud when it's AC. It's only loud when it's heat. When it, okay. when it creates when it creates heat, it makes a lot of noise. When it creates air conditioning, it doesn't really make much noise. And that's interesting. That's vibrating where your desk would be get through to your well, desk. You can hear it. So, like, I can hear it. Like, if I don't have these on and it kicks on, like, I can hear it making noise. It's audible. So I assume that the microphone's picking that up. Okay. Yeah, just keep that fire stoked. Yeah, yeah I was
0: Tell summertime. You
2: know, I was two degrees above when it whatever the heat kicks on at and I threw some extra wood in there, so it should be fine for a day. I mean in, in the summertime, like I could just crank the AC for like an hour before the show and then That's what I do off. always yeah. here. Yeah. I don't have heat.
0: Yeah. All right. Ready to, ready to get this going?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah let's do this. Some okay. of us have a
1: bedtime. Trying to get in the zone.
2: Yeah. How's that Look taste? at the
1: color of this.
2: Looks like piss.
1: Yeah. I mean, not great. Wow. Doesn't taste that far off from it either. Nah, I was going to say, it probably
2: tastes like piss too.
1: <laughs> Very lightly flavored. Is that a... Probably gross. I can't, not that I'm like, I can't even tell what quality it is. I mean, I've diluted it down to nothing. Yeah, I have not no big, idea why I even did it.
2: I'm not a big fan of Crown.
1: Yeah. This is not the right application, no. I suppose.
2: Okay. Anyway, I'm ready still. All right. Oh, okay. Do it yeah. up, buddy. Are we live?